You're listening to The Beauty Debut. I'm your host, Claudia Fabian. As someone who has spent over 25 years in the beauty industry as an esthetician, makeup artist, and in professional sales, I want to share what I've learned. Allow me to be your beauty avatar and give you a behind-the-scenes look at what it's really like to work in the world of beauty. And follow me as I navigate how to age gracefully. And remember, it's never too late to make your debut. This podcast is about all things beauty inside and out. Tune in every week to hear my conversations with the amazing professionals who are working in all aspects of the beauty industry. Get the scoop on the latest trends and learn firsthand insider tips and tricks to help you look and feel your very best. I'm so happy to have you here. The Beauty Debut starts now. Daniel, I'm so excited to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Claudia. It's good to hear from you. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the Beauty Debut. I was very, you know, looking forward to chatting with you because you and I always have so much fun when we had the chance to work together and I'm excited to, you know, shoot the shit with you, I guess. And uh, for lack of better <laughs> Absolutely. terms. <laughs> so um, what I, you know, I'm ready, girl. I know you are, Daniel. You know, I don't even think I know the answer to this question, and I think it'll be interesting for people to know how you even got started in the beauty industry. Maybe you can kind of start from that point and what made you get interested in aesthetics? Yeah, for sure. Honestly, it's one of those situations where I knew exactly what I wanted to do at a very young age. And I think like a lot of people that get into the world of aesthetics, they they usually face their own skin issues, um, typically when they're younger. And so I remember it was, you know, right out of middle school into high school, facing acne and a whole host of other skin issues. And I grew up in um, Northern California and my parents, I like to say, were sort of pseudo hippie. And I was lucky enough to have parents that rather than, you know, go straight to the sort of Western medicine approach to treating ailments, my mom would take me to the, the naturopath or the herbalist. We'd go see the naturopathic doctor. She took me to uh, my first esthetician as a, as a young guy. And essentially all of this sort of natural route, I knew fundamentally as well that diet had a significant influence on my skin. And so, you know, making this um, uh, cognitive decision to change all of this in my world as a high school kid, it fundamentally changed the health of my skin, truly. I, I think essentially this is what led me on this road to really be fascinated. I've always been a science guy, so I've always been fascinated by the science side of things. So mm-hmm. I knew that when I left high school, I wanted to enter into the sciences, but specifically uh, for skin, um, on, on the formulation side, on the chemistry side, on the you know skin anatomy and physiology side. So when I went to college, that was my goal was to uh, focus on um, the sciences, biology, chemistry. And I think what, I mean, but college is one thing. College can only uh, give you some baseline knowledge. I mean, I, certain didn't, I certainly did not learn anything about cosmetic chemistry there. So when I left, I had a phenomenal opportunity, one I was very grateful for. Growing up in the Bay Area, um, I'm surrounded or was surrounded, I live in Arizona now, uh, by a bunch of entrepreneurs and really brilliant mentors in my life. And so right out of school, I got the opportunity to work at a um, dermatology academic research facility out in San Francisco, which is the area I'm from. 
um, and dove deep into the world of skin from, it was a paid internship, so very grateful I got paid at least, um, uh, diving into the world of skin and learning all about corneotherapy and again, anatomy, physiology, how skin works, structure, function, because that was my goal, um, was to really understand the, the, the deeper science side of aesthetics. Um, I did actually, after, after a few work opportunities, I did end up getting my aesthetic license as well, because, you know, it's one thing to dive deep into the science and have this sort of theoretical understanding of how things work um, and, and, you know, understanding things analytically, but it's then another thing to see how these skincare products, these ingredients work in the real world. So I wanted to get my license so I can get in a room, play with skin and see, gather sort of my own in vivo data and see what these products and ingredients can actually do to skin. So I, I spent a couple of years in private practice. I was lucky enough to have a little room that I rented and spent a few years just really working on skin, building uh, my clientele. And um, I phased that out eventually because I wanted to explore other options. My my passion was, it was getting a little bit, um, not a burden necessarily, but I was getting tired out and fatigued. And it wasn't really, you know, my passion necessarily was to just be hands-on all day. Um, I really wanted to teach. I really wanted to take uh, the, the immense amount of knowledge that's that was in my brain and uh, share it with people. So I got into the education side I got into the education side of things and took opportunities with a few skincare companies, um, working on the educational side and worked my way through a few companies, learning a lot from each of them until I currently am in an opportunity where I'm um, an executive for a brand, a, a really phenomenal medical uh, regenerative aesthetic company where I am in formulation. Um, I'm, I'm a fully qualified cosmetic chemist. I uh, love the formulation side of things. So lecture across the country. I, I lecture in front of huge groups of not even just yeah. estheticians, but I work in uh, significant in medical. So I'm in front of physicians and nurses and research scientists. And uh, for me, it's like the, the larger the group I can get in front of, the more energetic and excited I get. Because I, I think there's two things that make you um, confident to deliver um, some sort of public uh, speaking um, uh, presentation is number one, you have to know your shit, right? You absolutely have to be the, the, the master of what you're talking about. And number two, you obviously need to feel comfortable on stage. So funny little um, thing about my youth is outside of my uh, crazy science um, love, you know, my, my, my um, hero is when I was a kid were Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson. So definitely a science nerd, but my other science, or excuse me, my other passion was believe it or not theater. So I did a lot of theater from the age of five up till high school graduation. And I think what gives me so much confidence on stage today in presentations in front of large groups of, of, of providers is not only a, like I mentioned, I know my shit, I'm an expert in my field, but I think all of that training as a kid on, in theater gives me this level of confidence that a lot of people don't normally have you know a lot of people are very fearful when they think about public speaking but for me it's it's it energizes me it really excites me so that's sort of my you know general um background and story of how i got into the industry and the things i've done in my geez almost 19 year career in the industry 20 year career almost yeah I'm 38 i'll be 39 this year yeah and i i was gonna backtrack a little bit because <laughs> you know you went the science route you know you were you know, heavily, you know, knowledge into science and formulation. 
And I'm just trying to picture that person like going to aesthetic school and like, how did you suffer through aesthetic school <laughs> with what you already knew? That must have been painful. It, it, it was a <laughs> challenge. I mean, I, I would say that, I mean, I went in 2001, I think, or 2002. Um, it was in school. In my understanding, is a lot of these you know individuals that go into aesthetic school today. I think there's been a lot of reform. There's a lot of modern schools with better curricula. But I, when I went, it was it was kind of a shit show, kind of a joke. You kind of go there, you go day by day just to get your quote unquote hours right. Um, so I did it. Um, again, my main motivation was just to get that license so right. I can start you know my practical in the real world. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, some days were a challenge. Um, there's there's some interesting characters, at least back then, uh, who you meet in, in the beauty industry. Everybody's got a really dynamic personality, but uh, a lot of it was very, uh, hard to find the word, but kind of um, uh, elementary, if you will, uh, to me. I was going to say, it must just, have felt like being I, I back in so kindergarten much. or something. Yeah, in a way, in a way. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I had to do it to to get that piece of paper so I can go in a room and start working. And then when you got, you know, when you started working as an esthetician, I mean, even someone with all your knowledge, you know, you still have to get that real world experience. And, you know, we've all made mistakes. We've all had embarrassing moments. You've all, you know, I think maybe all of us yeah. have waxed too much of an eyebrow off at some point. You know, did anything <laughs> like that happen to you? Like, please tell me it did, because then I'm going to feel really awful. If you're like, no, it was wonderful. I was perfect. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely in, in school, there were funny things. But then also when I first started getting into private, or excuse me, practical, um, I started working. It was just about a month at one of my girlfriend's um, skincare studios that she owned. And she slowly started getting me into just the, the basics of, of dealing with clients. And she would cherry pick and hand clients over to me for this and that. And I, I, I literally did one waxing my entire life. And it, <laughs> it, it's a personal waxing story, so I'm not going to get too much detail because it can get a little uh, un-PC. But let's just say it did not go over well <laughs> with me. And from that thing on, I knew I, obviously waxing is not for me. I need I need just to deal with skin. So but, you were, you um, were waxing it, uh, a female or waxing a male? I was yes, I was wax I was waxing a female, and I'm a very proud gay man, and I'm not that that, that means anything. But it just for me not understanding female anatomy that well, uh, it was it was just a funny comic situation. Is that the first time you saw one? That is the first time I saw one <laughs> in the real world. That is the very oh first vagina I've ever seen. That was your first experience with a real-life vagina. <laughs> wow. These are facts. You These heard it facts. here, folks. You heard it here on the beauty debut. Okay. Um, moving on. Let's move on. <laughs> so, you know, I've always known you as being a dynamic educator. I mean, that's how I was introduced to you. You know, we worked together for the same company for, for a moment in time. And how yeah. did you kind of touched on, you ended up in education and your theater background really, you know, kind of gave you that confidence of, you know, public speaking and feeling, you know, natural on stage. But, you know, as you became an educator for a major brand, you know, what was that like? And, you know, you've been doing it for such a long time. Like, do you still like ever get nervous? Like, do you have any like rituals that you do before you go on? Like, are you 
chanting Anthony Robbins or doing anything crazy like that? Like, what are you doing? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think when I first started speaking on stage, the nerves were definitely higher than I am today, uh, just because it was so new. It was foreign territory for me. Um, but again, it's, it's the classic saying that the more you do, the better off you'll be. And so as I started doing more and the crowd started getting larger and I started getting um, um, positive uh, feedback and, and, you know, these accolades I was giving uh, from, from other people in the industry saying, you're brilliant, you know what you're doing, you're a dynamic speaker. So that he built my confidence. Again, I knew my shit. It wasn't that. It was just making sure that I was engaging and making sure that I wasn't boring people with too much science. You know, it's this fine balance because I can go on tangents. I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've stumped physicians and they have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I have to teach them something that they clearly didn't know. Um, But yeah, I mean, even today I say I get a little bit of butterflies, but it's normal. It's Mm -hmm. just your normal. It's it's how your body responds to that type of dynamic. And so I get a little bit of butterflies, but as soon as I get on stage and those first words come out, I'm, I'm, I'm smooth sailing from there. And, you know, it's, when you watch educators, it just, like you, like you said, it seems so effortless. I think the more people do it, obviously, the better you get, the more comfortable you get. You kind of have your rhythm and your flow. But there's always, like, a few weirdos in the audience that will try to, like, trip you up or ask some obscure question. Or you have those, you know, people, estheticians that, you know, like to go off on tangents and you know you know what I'm talking about we'll call them hecklers or we'll call them annoying estheticians how do you handle that yeah that's a really good question so I mean I've been lucky enough not to have too many hecklers in the sense of people like telling me to get off stage or this and that but of course when I'm in these, <laughs> no, in these, I don't I hope that. not I hope not <laughs> like throwing but tomatoes mean, at you boo boo right, right. no no <laughs> I mean, I'm calling but it hecklers I, and apostrophes, like, um, you know, just the totally. ones that try to challenge you and like, you know, I don't know who could challenge you, but well, that's, I'm sure they're that, out there. That's, that's actually what I was getting to is the moments where, and I, I've learned how to, I will tell you this, I've learned how to soften my delivery sometimes when I'm fact checking somebody. Um, because I never want to come across as rude or make somebody feel, you know, uh, ignorant or not smart enough. But I do get a bunch of um, estheticians, but even on the medical side, I do get some physicians or even nurses who will, you know, think that they're their own experts. And so they'll say, they'll ask the question and it's not accurate or they have a, a very bizarre interpretation of, of science. And so I'll have to fact check them and essentially, you know, put them in their place. And it's funny because I do it so well, and then they just sort of cower and shut up. Yeah. It's like mic drop, hello, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know, and I've seen it. But it happens all the time because, because, yeah, and and the reason is, is because you probably know this, when it comes to science, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, there's lots of misinterpretation of scientific information. And, you know, there's a lot of people, even in the professional space of aesthetics, I like to say that attend Google University and because mm-hmm. Google said it, it's fast, right? Right. So it takes, it takes a very specific type of training to, be, to look at um, data, medical literature, and be able to critically analyze it and interpret what it actually says and read through all the meat and potatoes of it. So people, people can do some sort of surface researching, but 
you, you really have to fundamentally understand how to read um, the data to, to give an accurate representation of what it actually says. Yeah. And I would imagine that, you know, all the years that you've been a platform speaker at many trade shows and events, like there has to be some kind of crazy stories that you, you might be able to share of like, like things that people would not believe have happened that have happened. For sure. Sh- for sure. I definitely have a good story. Um, I will not mention names. I will not mention companies, but uh, um I, we, uh, my current company, we're in, again, regenerative aesthetics, we're a stem cell based skincare line, uh, human stem cells, and we'll get into that later. But um, we have a few quote unquote competitors out in the space. And one of the competitors, the owner, excuse me, the, the, the person who runs the company, their CEO, uh, I actually used to work with, and we're not going to say the name, but so did you, Claudia. We yeah. both worked for this individual. And when I left that company that we were together, I, I left on good terms, what I think were good terms. I, I resigned respectfully, and I sent my resignation letter and said, I really valued my time with you guys. I learned a lot, but it's time for me to move on. And this mm-hmm. individual uh, back then responded right away to my resignation letter saying he was so sad to see me go and we, I was such a valuable asset and uh, a year, about a year later actually he, uh, he ended up leaving that company as well and started with another company where he's now and he tried to recruit me um, you know he sent me a message on LinkedIn and tried to recruit me so this man loved me for, for all intents and purposes he, I, I was a, a valuable individual to him and his uh, sort of uh, business and and his structure of business and you know wherever wherever he was he thought of me as a valuable asset so but now let's let's be real he he was a fan he was a fan he loved you yes absolutely and the documentation proves it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but and see the thing is and and one thing um when i first and that was the first company i entered into when i went to entered into the education side of things and one of the biggest things that i when I went there was, again, the, the body of knowledge that I have, and I would want to not necessarily challenge individuals, um, but when I saw something wrong and wanted to question it and critically debate it, um, I always got, quote unquote, put in my place because, and I heard this through multiple people, multiple people over the years that um, at that company, there was a, a physician owner um, that People preferred to hear me speak over this physician owner. Uh, they they thought I um, I sounded more intelligent. I wasn't going on random tangents about my soul and some crystals in the air, right? So, <laughs> um, but I'm I'm rounding on a little bit of a tangent here. But essentially, that's, okay. yeah. um, that's one that's one of the reasons that I left was they they knew my talent, they knew what I could provide, but they put this brick barrier wall. Um, on me essentially so I couldn't reach that max potential there and for whatever reason I think it might have been a little bit of I'm going to take the thunder away from other people in the company so that was my reason for leaving left on a positive note he tried to recruit me at the other company but now now that we're technically quote-unquote competitors two different um, regenerative aesthetic companies and the technologies are very different um, from a from a uh, physiological perspective, from a safety perspective, et cetera. And so when I go out, my job is to essentially analyze competitors and analyze what the data says. And I never 
Claudia, you know this as well. Yeah. I never bash companies. Yeah. I actually don't bash any company. I don't yeah. mention names. Yeah. I simply come from a science yeah. perspective. Absolutely. And so I would go out and people would ask me about this competitor company and on certain like professional forums, I would um, say, well, uh, I'm not familiar with, you know, the nitty gritty details about the company, but here's what the science says. Here's what they use. And here's what this tells us. Him the wrong way. And if man who then, who, who previously sort of, uh, was a fangirl, if you will, turned on me completely and started fabricating lies and w was going to different practices and literally creating these bizarre stories about my time at that company where we were together. Things that were not true, things that were so um, uh, counter to what everybody uh, said about me during that period of time. It was it was definitely jealousy. And the problem is, and here here's the fact. The problem is. He knows what I'm capable of. He knows my talents. And now those talents are at a competitive company. So he's scared and he's afraid and he doesn't know what to do other than turn to this really nasty side of him and try to make shit up to take another company down. I don't know what the motivation is. Nonetheless, yeah, this individual is rather. No, I was just going to say it's so strange that, you know, he loved you, raved about you, tried to recruit you. And then when you were just simply answering a factual question like you were answering with facts right he like flipped and like became psycho in what? a sense that he just was like trying to bash you for stating whatever the science showed that's so weird right yeah yeah uh, yeah absolutely and psycho is an understatement so the <laughs> the the incident that happened i was at a conference speaking at a conference in um, dallas texas and this competitor company had um, no booth there. They were not supposed to be there. Nobody was speaking. Um, but as soon as I got there, I noticed um, some of my friends and colleagues who I've known over the years react in some way. They were across the room and they rushed up to me and they said, guess who's here? And they said this individual's name. And initially, and this was literally about 20, 30 minutes before I was supposed to go on stage. Um, so I knew somehow that he went to this show just to fuck with me in some way. And I wasn't sure how that was going to go down. So oh, no. I went back, I went backstage and I got ready for my presentation. Crowd was full. And luckily for me, uh, behind the curtain, I did a little peek to see the crowd and see the audience. And sure as shit, he was in the front row. Creepy. In the front row w with um, his camera or his phone ready to what it seems uh to film me to document me somehow so i i had a li i had like 15 seconds to mentally prepare myself for what was about to go down oh my god so the, the the host called me on stage i go up to the stage and as soon as i'm walking onto the stage he literally is halfway out of his seat flailing his arms about to get my attention while he's filming me I think the motivation was to maybe psychologically fuck me up to mess my presentation up. Yeah. Who knows? But for the first, I was a 30 minute presentation for the first good 10 minutes. He was flailing his arms about with his, he never stopped filming me, mind you, um, <laughs> trying to get my attention. And I was a pro of course. So I paid, made no eye contact with him. I focused on other people and I powered through the presentation and walked off stage. We even had some other individuals who I didn't even know were filming him, filming me, questioning this man's crazy behavior, Yeah. right? So I got up on stage. All of my friends who uh, mentioned he was there were all discussing it, powwowing. 
And apparently he goes into the main lobby where we all were, but he's at the other end and he's just staring and staring and staring. And then he leaves. And this was day one of this conference. He leaves and was never seen again. This man lives in California, I believe. And he flew, he flew. out to Dallas, Texas. Oh he flew out to Dallas, Texas just to try to trip me up on stage and then leave. Wow. Like that is just the, crazy behavior. It's like it, it's mental. Nuts. Maybe it's he was, nuts. Maybe he was off and his meds or something. Something happened. <laughs> Perhaps. He's done a few more things. We don't need to get into it. Uh, but essentially, um, there, there's something called sweet justice. And um, the company is actually about to be served some sweet justice at the beginning of next month. Um, unfortunately, this company has, and they're, even their PhD behind the brand, um, essentially committed what would be called academic fraud. Uh, they put out a research, they put out a paper um, with essentially glorifying and putting their technology on a pedestal, but then vilifying our technology and then calling us out by name and cited over 250 papers that were taken out of context that had no relation to what we were actually doing or using. And then specifically and, and, and you know, um, uh, conveniently left out the data that shows the negative aspects of their technology. So this is research bias. Um, it's academic fraud. They published it in a paper and something is about to happen in July that is going to be very embarrassing. And after that goes out, I don't think any professional will want to do business with them ever again. Wow. Wow. That is sweet justice. I love when that happens. Like you just didn't have to do anything. You just sat back and let the universe take care of it. 100% let the universe because there were moments where I would go to my my um, my CEO and my employers and my, the physicians that I work with at our company. And I would I would have a heart to heart with them because I felt like after that moment and then a few other moments where he crying awful, it was hurting me. You know what? It hurts me. I'm a very emotional guy. I lead with my emotions. But it, it, it made me wonder, like, what do I have to do? How do I protect myself? Do I seek legal recourse? And, you know, my mentors currently, and I've had many mentors over the years. My current ones are the two physicians who, uh, started the brand that I work for. Brilliant, brilliant men, but they they told me to take a seat and they said, don't worry. Um, essentially what you said, the universe will will work yeah. its magical ways. And so they put me at ease a little bit and they said, you don't, you don't stoop to his level. You don't react like he reacts. You just go on with life and I'll eat him the fuck up. And it probably did because things yeah. just got worse and worse. And I'm hearing stories of him going to all these different accounts across the country and bashing us and bashing me and making up lies. So he just makes himself look like a complete fool. And I sit here just doing my thing and pushing truth and science forward. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, it's like, who has time on their hands to be doing that? It's like, obviously he's not busy. I mean, cause who has time to be worried about somebody else to that degree? It's kind of freaky. <laughs> that is freaky, but I guess it's just somebody who's truly obsessed with you, Daniel. He's obsessed with yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start getting. I'm gonna start getting like crazy panties in the mail. I'm like, what? <laughs> exactly. He's. You're gonna like find things missing in your underwear drawer. Yeah. There's gonna yeah. be weird shit that happens. Oh my right. god. Well, moving on to a lighter topic. I 
you know, I, I would love for you to share with, with me, like, I know you got to do some work on QVC with another brand that you worked on. And I think, you yeah. know, a lot of us obviously have seen QVC, we may have purchased things off of QVC, but like, what's it like behind the scenes? And what was that experience like to be live on TV selling? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So that was the company I was with prior to this one. And um, like with most companies, um, I have sort of run the not only educational side of things, but I started running the PR. If we ever did um, uh, news shows or live uh, interviews, uh, I would usually be that face and that person going on because I can relate. I can, you know, um, uh, make things digestible for consumers to hear. But I will say, or at least professionals to hear, I will say this: when I, when I, when we uh, launched a retail brand and we were going to go on CBC because the owners had a relationship with them, he had sold the product years ago on there, made a bajillion dollars from it. Um, that's one of the reasons why I went to that company is I saw that this man had huge success in the aesthetic industry. And I wanted, again, I surround myself with successful people, yeah, smart people, mentors. So I knew that I wanted to sort of bite on whatever he's got going. And so we formulated a product for retail and we, we did launch it um, on QVC. And so the interesting thing with QVC is it's a completely different audience you're talking to. And I'm not trying to be mean or critical, but it's essentially Susie from Alabama you're talking to, right? And so me as the science guy, I had to adjust my verbiage to in, in a way that took me away from who I am, you know, oh, this cream will make you look so pretty, Paula, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but essentially, that's, that's what that's what they eat up on QVC. So you can right. only deliver a little bit of science, but it, it has to be this sort of call to action, why they need it, it's gonna, you know, make them glow this and that, um, which was fine. I actually, the beauty of QVC is you do spend um, a couple of weekends there. Uh, it's in Tampa, Florida. St. Petersburg to be specific, and you go through training um, with their on-air personalities. Oh, okay. You do you do chest runs, so you're in the studio um, on camera. You're not live, but they're filming it, and they're getting you ready to be live on TV. And you also have to go deal with their legal department because you have to make sure what you're saying live on air are not um, over claims, medical claims, sure. etc. So again, I've spoken to I've spoken in front of a significant amount of people upwards of five 600 people at a time. But the trippy thing about QVC, I did about five, four or five shows with them. And the first one I did uh, was a primetime spot 7pm Eastern, which was their primetime spot. It was their biggest beauty show with the host that's always doing their beauty segments. She's well known. And Again, I've spoken in front of 500, 600 people live, but at that time, the trippy thing was there was there's when you're on on the soundstage and you're in the studio ready to go live. It's you, it's the host, it's a cameraman, a few cameramen, and then one um, stage manager, and then everybody in the in the back room where you have your earplug in your ear and you're hearing from them, you're hearing from legal, making sure you're not saying anything. Uh, so it's very few people that you're in a room. But at that time, at that seven o'clock hour on that date, it was live with, it was just under 2 million people. Oh and so God. that's what, that's what trips you out. It's not, it's knowing that there's close to 2 million people watching you live right now. And you have to psychologically power through that and not think about it to get through your segment. Um, but I did it. I powered through it. It was really great. I did a few of them. 
Um, but it was definitely a unique uh, and different side of the industry, the retail industry, the direct-to-consumer, live, QVC, HSN um, uh, uh, industry. By, by the way, it was HSN I was on, not QVC, but they're oh, one. Oh, I'm they, sorry. They okay. Together. I knew it was one of those two. Okay. HSN. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but they, they've merged. QVC bought HSN, so they're one, okay. essentially one company umbrella Maybe that's now. why I thought uh, that. But it was okay. great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So but what it, was, were, it was a great experience. What were the tips that they gave you? Like you said you went through like a two-day training. So can you like, do you remember like what were some of the things that you learned that you could share with us? Um, pre presence on camera, looking at, the, there's multiple cameras and following the lights so you know which camera's hot and live and you're supposed to look at that um, and how you engage with the camera. You don't really talk to the host. You talk to the camera. You're talking to Susie in Alabama of all of those little things that are pretty normal for, for anybody in, in television, whether you're selling a product or you're a news anchor, you all have to learn those sort of things and those tricks to make it look fluid and to make your presentation look flawless. So it was, yeah, it was a, it was a fun, intense couple of days of just diving through that and um, um, make, giving yourself a little bit more confidence for when you go live. That's really cool. I love that. And I think it's interesting. I, I didn't know that, that you had to spend, you know, several days like practicing basically. What makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, they definitely want to make, cause they, I mean, obviously it's, it's their reputation on the line too. So they need to make sure any guests that they have on is prepared and mm -hmm. doesn't freeze up on TV, live TV, whatever it may be. They have to make sure that they have confidence in you before you go live as well. Yeah. I wonder if like they've ever like worked with somebody and did the two day training and then thought, no, <laughs> you don't have what it takes. Do you I, have anyone I, else in I've your company? <laughs> I've heard some stories. There's uh, there's a few stories I've heard, especially with some um, real housewives that have been on uh -huh. uh, thinking that they were behaving as if they were tipsy or drunk or so there's plenty of stories I've heard. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. So I, I definitely want to, you know, give some time to talk about your amazing skincare brand that you're with now. And I was introduced to your brand through an esthetician that I see here in Las Vegas. And I saw your brand in her um, spa. And I was like, oh my God, my friend, you know, works for this company. And she was like all about it. I'm telling you. So she convinced me. I purchased it from her. I, I bought it. I wanted to try it. And it is amazing. It's amazing. And there's only yeah, you know, the three products that I'm using. And I've seen such a difference. I've been using it mainly like on my neck and my chest area. And I use it on my face too. But you know, I have a million products for my face. So it's like I have to kind of balance them all out. But I love these products. And the science behind it is pretty phenomenal. And I want to give you time to tell us all about the brand, Antiage. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, Antiage, Antiage, uh, either way is perfect. Uh, we say Antiage because our I head like of Antiage. sales is British. Yeah, yeah our, well, our head of sales is British, and that's how she says it. So it's kind of stuck with all of us at corporate. Mm. Um, so it either way works. But interesting about the name, the prefix anti, that's the Latin word for before. So it's essentially before aging. And that's, a, that's pretty much, if, if I were to explain what our technology does in the simplest of terms, is it restores your skin to a more youthful state. It, it actually re- um, programs your skin cells to look and behave like they did in our youth. So uh, we are, our technology was born in regenerative medicine and wound healing in particular. 
Uh, and it's all based on uh, stem cells and the proteins or the molecules they produce called growth factors and cytokines. And it's not necessarily a new technology to the aesthetic space. It's been around for a little over 20 years now. Um, but there's been different iterations because not all of these technologies, even though they're in the same category and umbrella, they're all very different in their sort of behavior on the skin and what they can achieve. So, uh, it's, so it's all based on stem cells. And essentially what we're doing is we're taking human stem cells. Uh, these are from paid volunteer donors. Uh, we are not, it's funny the questions I get all the time. Are you taking it from a cadaver, a dead person? No, these stem cells have to be alive for them to do what we want them to do in our lab. So we, we take these stem cells, mind you, what we use, the stem cells that we use, which definitely differentiates us from all the other competitors, is the bone marrow stem cell. So we choose this cell because if you look at the human body and its natural healing mechanism mm -hmm. and sort of all the cells involved in healing and the hierarchy of those cells, there's truly one cell that is responsible for all of the controlled healing in the human body from the moment we're, we're born until the day that we die. And that is the bone marrow stem cell. It's the only mobile stem cell. So there's a variety of stem cells in the human body. I mean, there's stem cells in your teeth. There's stem cells in your hair follicle. There's stem cells at the basement of your epidermis. There's stem cells in your fat cells. There's a variety of stem cells available, but the only mobile one it, which means that all those other stem cells stay in their tissue niche of origin. They don't move around. The only mobile uh, stem cell is the bone marrow stem cell. So it actually, it, it resides in the bone. It releases from the bone and it travels through your blood supply, your vascular system. And it patrols your body 24-7, seven days a week, 365. And what it's doing, its main objective, these cells, as they patrol the body, is they're looking for injuries. And a variety of injury, I mean, we get micro injuries every single day. We get it from walking out of the house. We get it from just breathing. This is a natural part of, of aging is we get these micro injuries. And your cells usually have a good ability to repair those injuries. Mm -hmm. uh, and that ability does slow down as we get older, of course, which is why we don't heal as well when we're older. Uh, we heal with more inflammation. But the main role of these bone marrow stem cells is to look for the injury. And then when it finds it, it initiates this healing and regenerative response by predominantly giving off. So these cells contain inside them, they're a little, think of it as a little manufacturing pharmacy. And these cells can actually manufacture and release these powerful little drugs, uh, we'll call them essentially, they're little protein molecules called growth factors and cytokines. These protein molecules are essentially how all cells in the human body, except for two types of cells, all cells in the human body talk to one another. I like to say there's literally a symphony of communication going on in the human body. All of these cells are communicating, and that communication is via these little proteins called growth factors and cytokines. Now, again, when we're young, we have an abundance of these bone marrow stem cells circulating our body, even traveling to the skin, controlling injuries that happens in the skin, uh, which is why when we're young, if, if we got a cut when we're, you know, three, four, five years old, we heal pretty well. Uh, we have very little uh, fibrotic tissue or scar tissue forming. But as we get older, the amount of those stem cells circulating our, our, in our body significantly decline. In fact, by the time we're 50 years old, we have roughly two and a half percent of these stem cells circulating in our body, which essentially means that as we get old, we don't heal as well. We heal with more inflammation present. It takes longer for us to heal, even in the skin. So the goal is to, with this technology, is to restock 
what we had in abundance in our youth that kept us youthful and young, it made us heal well, restock that in the skin as an adult to essentially what these proteins do when you get them in, which we'll talk about delivery. Um, when you get them in, they essentially coordinate the cells to look and behave like they did when we were young. It is literally the epitome of anti-aging. Um, you know, there's a lot of ingredients in skincare that we sort of consider non-negotiable, antioxidants, certain retinoids, peptides, whatever it may be. But there, uh, there's one ingredient in particular, these growth factors and cytokines that control all of the activity of any other ingredient you're using. They're the master um, 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 controller of all the bioactivity in your skin. And a great analogy I actually created, which I think makes pretty good sense, is Think of all the, think of your skincare routine and all the ingredients you use in your skincare routine. Vitamins, peptides, niacinamide, all these great ingredients available to us, right? right? Think of them as, think of them as the musicians in a symphony, right? All playing their respective parts. But it's the growth factors and the cytokines that act as the conductor of the symphony, orchestrating the entire thing. Mm, that's a good so way when to you that. use... Yeah, when you use these protein molecules, and you have to make sure they're the right source, physiologically balanced, we can get into that. When you use the right growth factors on your skin, you potentiate the, the, the benefits and the activity of every other ingredient you have in your product. And how do estheticians and, you know, medical estheticians, med spas, how do they... There's so much information out there, Daniel. Like, it's, it's so confusing. Like, every brand, you know, has their story, right? And right. how do you decipher, like, wh who's right? Like, I know that comes up a lot probably in your classes. You know, people might be using a different brand. Like, what, what's your answer to that? Because I know you're so good about, you know, helping us and guiding us to really make the right decision. Like, what, what do we absolutely need in our growth factor serums? Yeah, and, and it's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to boils down to trust, right? Do you trust that brand? Do you trust that the message they're delivering is rooted in fact and science and, um, you know, accurate data? Because unfortunately, like I mentioned to you, there are, even in the medical space, there are companies out there that will manipulate the data to favor their story, to, mm -hmm. to twist it a bit so it makes it look like their product or their ingredient or their technology might be superior. And one thing we pride ourselves, and it's not to stroke our own ego, but one thing we pride ourselves at, at this company is we call, our tell, we call ourselves a team of, of truth seekers. And we are not afraid, again, never bashing a company, but we are not afraid to, to see a technology that's out on the market dive deep into the literature, the, the scientific literature, to, to analyze it properly and say, well, this is actually what that technology is doing in your skin. They're mm -hmm. claiming this, but if you actually read deeper, this is what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, so I think over the years, we've built a significant amount of trust. And people, yeah. I, I, I hope, but I've heard that people over the years who have known me since the beginning days of my educational um, stint, uh, they've, they've, they've instilled trust in me or I, I've instilled trust in them and they know no matter where I am that what I deliver to them is honest and factual and true and transparent because I, I'll tell you this and I've always been this way my entire life this is why I wanted to be on the research side as, as, a, as a, a young guy um, because I needed to know what the data actually says what facts actually mean I needed to know from these mentors of mine these academics these researchers how to properly analyze literature 
um, because I, I'm good at what I do, but I'm an awful bullshitter. And you would know if I was trying to sell you something and I didn't believe in it, you could read right through me. And I can't yeah. do that. I mean, yeah. I, any company that I've been with, I've interviewed them as much as they've interviewed me. Yeah. And there's some companies like the one we worked with, you know, in the beginning stage, I, I, I was drawn to the message they were delivering because some of it does make sense. And some of their products were decent. Uh, but then at sort of the end of my period with them, things just got out of hand in the pseudoscience realm and making these crazy claims with, you know, these supplements that just I could not get behind. Mm -hmm. So when my truth no longer prevails, I move on. And yeah. that's what I always have to do because I can't bullshit people. So yeah. I think it has to do with trust. I think I do, I do um, encourage individuals to do their own research. But if you're not an expert in understanding how to research things, which that's most people are in the aesthetic space, that's what I'm saying. Right. Most estheticians um, are, I mean, you know, we really understand ingredients and, you know, we can read literature, but it's not the same thing as your background of science. So I, you know, I know you were going to talk about your delivery system and I would, I would imagine that that can, you know, maybe help set yours apart from others. I would imagine is how everything works together. Uh, yeah, well, it was a great question. Um, well, with growth factors in particular, you do have to have an effective delivery system because even though these molecules are rather small in the grand scheme of things, they're still too large to penetrate um, our skin barrier. And anybody that's in the industry knows our skin barrier wants to keep things out. It's a waterproof barrier, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, unless something is a low molecular weight, it has a different ch um, uh, charge to it, it is lipidated or lipophilic, so it can absorb through that lipid barrier. Uh, things just don't get in. But outside of having an effective delivery system, which I'll, I'll mention, um, our, the technology is superior because of the cell that we use. So let's just okay. say if somebody's exploring all these growth factor brands, and they have us, they have a competitor that I just talked about being crazy, the, the CEO, um, or any others out there, there are definite differences. And at the end of the day, cell source matters. So we get our cells from the bone marrow, bone marrow stem cells. These competitors will get their cells from fat stem cells. Um, they, they do produce a lot of these growth factors. But when you look at the literature, it, it's pretty black and white that fat stem cells release predominantly highly inflammatory proteins and molecules. Okay. Um, you'll have fibroblast cells. The very first human growth factor product to market 20 years ago used fibroblast cells, which is the cell in your, in your connective tissue that produces collagen and elastin. As, at the time, 20 years ago, it seemed like a novel thing to do. Um, but what we've learned since then is that while they do produce collagen and elastin, they do it very well. Fibroblasts are actually very weak and poor producers of growth factors. They produce roughly 1 15th to 1 50th the amount of growth factors that say the bone marrow stem cell releases. So it's just a puny cell source. It doesn't work. But if you analyze the proteins that it does produce, they tend to lean a little bit more inflammatory. Then you'll have a few others. You'll have um, more on the medical side. You'll see umbilical cord stem cells. You'll see amniotic stem cells. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, the simplest explanation of what separates the bone marrow stem cell from all of these other available options is the portfolio of proteins. When you measure them all qualitatively and quantitatively, every other competitor has majority inflammatory proteins. At the end of the day, we know definitively, or we should know, mm -hmm. that inflammation and, and aging are yeah. synonymous. If we yes. are to effectively control aging in the true sense of the term, we have to control inflammation. So other than being a superior cell source, and having a predominantly anti-inflammatory portfolio of these proteins in our product, we do deliver them better than anyone else out there. So we use um, 
without getting too technical, it's called nanostructured lipid carriers. And essentially, it's next-generation liposomal delivery systems. It, we're actually the first company ever to use it in the skincare cosmetic space. You'll mm. see it more widely used in, per, in percutaneous drug delivery systems, okay. in pharma. Um, but it is a very effective delivery mechanism. And essentially, what we're doing is we're taking a blend of these physiologic lipids, and we're combining them with um, phospholipids and surfactants, et cetera, with our proteins. And we process them in a way where they reduce their molecular weight to nano size, nano, nano level. And now what you have are these tiny little nano lipids. Think of them as envelopes. And inside the envelope are the growth factors. So they're protected, they're stabilized. But because that is lipidated, it's, it's physiologic lipids that are protecting these proteins. And the skin barrier is predominantly lipid um, in the barrier. They, these proteins can actually diffuse, enter into that lipid barrier, all the way down through that lipid barrier to the living tissue in, in the uh, uh, viable epidermis. And then enzymes, lipase enzymes in particular, lipase enzymes are what degrade fat and lipids. So lipase enzymes will then break apart that envelope, if you will, and then all of those proteins are released to do their job. Love you it. have to have an effective delivery system yeah. or else you're literally washing those proteins down the drain. Yeah, and I think a lot of estheticians, you know, I think a lot of them use like plant stem cells and I know that's so different. And... Um, and the and estheticians are allowed to purchase your brand, right? They don't have to have a doctor. Absolutely. Uh, there's two components to our brand. We have an esthetician version and we have a medical version. And the main differences between the two is, uh, is that the medical version has um, a stronger uh, concentration of those growth factors. Uh, so we have an available to estheticians and we have it available to, to doctors. But the thing I want to mention is when, when estheticians first approach us and they hear, oh, there's a medical line, oh, I'm sad, I can't get that, that's going to be the more effective one. Not true. So when we launched uh, almost nine years ago, we launched with that quote unquote aesthetic line. Uh, okay. We launched a good product, a well-formulated product that we were going to sell to estheticians, to doctors, everyone. All of our clinical trials, those amazing before and after pictures that we have, were all done on the esthetician line. It was only as we were growing more in the medical space that all the doctors, you know, they have their ego, they have yeah. to uh, demand something different than what, you know, Mary, the esthetician down the street is selling. So we said, okay, we'll double up on the protein. We will add a few extra ingredients here and there. We obviously have to charge more. We'll put it in the MD packaging and market it to them. So that's really the genesis of the medical line. But what, regardless of what you're using, whether it's aesthetic or medical, it's going to be very effective. Certainly, if you're using the esthetician line, that well-formulated, beautiful two-step system powered by those growth factors, you're using the best skincare out there. I mean, yeah. it, it's hands down um, going to be one of the most powerful things you can do for your skin. You know, I could tell the difference right away and how they penetrated, like the difference I saw in the texture of my skin. Tell me about your yeah. vitamin A because I'm using the accelerator, which is your vitamin yeah. A, correct? But it's a really new well, kind of unique vitamin A formulation, right? Or am I missing Yeah, that? so it's not technically. Yeah, no, no, you're, I mean, in a way, because it's marketed as a retinoid alternative. Um, and because it behaves in a similar way to retinoids, it's not in the class of retinoids. Retinoids are very specific oh. vitamin A analogs. Yes. Um, but what it does, so it, we, we can't say it flat out replaces it. There's not enough data to show that. But what we do have, which is highly encouraging, and one of the reasons we put it in the product, because uh, we have to make sure we're researching and it, gives, it gets uh, thumbs up from all of our scientists, 
before we put anything in the product is uh, the gene expression study that was done with it. So outside of it producing collagen equally as well as, um, as vitamin A, producing elastin, all of those other key benefits, cellular turnover, that, that retinol does, it, this is achieving it. But what, it, what, what, what excited us the most was the gene expression study. So at the end of the day, uh, an ingredient and the, the holy grail, I would say, of the clinical trial is how an ingredient behaves at the genetic level. What genes does it turn on? What genes does it turn off? So the genes that Bakuchiol, which is what it's called, funny name, it's a botanical source, um, and the genes that it turns on are the retinal binding and metabolizing genes. So unlike pure vitamin A, which will get converted from, say, retinal esters to retinol to retinaldehyde to retinoic acid, and most of us know the retinol story, right? Um, I hope so. Retinoic acid is the, yeah, retinoic acid is the only molecule that can actually enter into the cell uh, reach the nucleus and actually cause um, a, a specific physiological change. Uh, that is the only molecule. But what Bakuchiol does is um, increase the uh, metabolizing potential for vitamin A. So even if you've never used vitamin A um, on, on your skin, you still have vitamin A in your skin. We mostly get it from diet. And so what happens is when we eat that pro-retinol from usually like eggs or liver, or there's a variety of things that have natural vitamin A, or even on the vegetable side with beta carotene, any of these sources, when you consume them, there's this complex process that happens where they get converted uh, in your body from one form to another form to another form until it finally turns into retinoic acid. That's still in your skin. So you still have vitamin A in your skin. So what Bakuchel has proven to do is increase the enzymes that convert vitamins vitamin A in particular, into its superior form and increases that process. So there are enzymes that, if you say you have retinol palmitate, which is the ester form of vitamin A, in fact, that's the, the majority of vitamin A that's found in your skin is in, is in this, what we call storage form, the ester called retinol palmitate. Retinol palmitate requires an enzyme to convert it into retinol. Then that same enzyme or an iteration of that enzyme is required to turn retinol into retinaldehyde. And then, again, another iteration of that same enzyme converts retinaldehyde into that powerful, pure retinoic acid. Bakuchel has proven to increase that enzyme that converts vitamin A. Okay. And so it can actually utilize the native vitamin A that's in your skin and convert it and start this conversion process so your skin can naturally utilize the vitamin A that's in your skin. So it's powerful on its own, of course, but even if you did combine it with a vitamin A, it just amplifies the benefits. But we were pretty compelled to add this to our product, it's, it's typically used at 0.5%. We use it at 1%. So you're getting max therapeutic value. Um, so, uh, the so beauty of it, again, use... it, has, it has this sort of parallel in behavior, but okay. what it doesn't have is the same side effects. So no redness, no irritation, right. no right. sun sensitivity. Um, that's the beauty of this molecule. Gotcha. So it's a good alternative, but it's very efficacious that it can really, the studies are showing that it performs almost equally in the skin, but without all the side Correct. effects. Okay, I got it. Exactly, I'm exactly. It. Okay, yeah. all right, great. So you have that, and then you have your potent, juicy growth factor stem cell serum, and then there's a brightener that um, I got. So are those yeah. three necessary, or your two signature ones are the, um, the serum and the accelerator? Yeah, that two-step serum and accelerator, that's your foundation. That's what everybody should be on. Okay. It's only um, when you are experiencing um, 
stubborn pigmentation in your skin that you would bring on the brightener. So it's very specific, targeting unwanted pigmentation. It's not something that you have to be on forever. You can be on it for X period of time, couple of months, less. It depends on the severity of the pigmentation. So you'd mm -hmm. use that to reduce that pigmentation. Uh, it's non-hydroquinone based, of course. Everything is friendly to the skin, non-cytotoxic, so it works with your skin. Uh, and then you can, you can pull off of that and just go continue with your core uh, two-step system. That's the foundation product that everyone should be on. And the beauty of that system, which we didn't really talk about, is outside of being powered by the growth factors, it has pretty much all the other actives that we know the skin needs in order to maintain this ability to protect, defend, heal, regenerate, etc. So it makes it easy. The two steps, outside of a good cleanser, an SPF, uh, for the daytime, it's all in there. So it mitigates the need to add any other additional serum or antioxidant, whatever it may be. Uh, we, we, we simplify it for you in a universal two-step system. I love it. And I know a lot of estheticians are doing microneedling, um, dermapens, you know, and you have some special formulations, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So our favorite advanced modality um, is hands down microneedling. It's, it's probably one of the most effective modalities for uh, tissue regeneration and rejuvenation outside of going under um, a laser or even, you know, some, to some uh, extent, even some minor little surgery, uh, the ability for it to tap into this pathway of regeneration in the skin. And unlike every other advanced modality out there, it actually, even though you're piercing these needles into the skin, which you th would think would be so um, um, potentially harmful or even inflammatory, it's actually doing the opposite. That's the, that's the phenomena that is microneedling is when you pierce the skin, which most people know microneedling, it's these uh, surgical needles, rapid 15,000 RPM that are going at different depths into the living epidermis to pierce the uh, keratinocytes, which allows them, believe it or not, to release their own growth factors. So that's what microneedling does is it initiates this cascade of regeneration and healing. But and what we, what we uh, have to support this is a couple of years ago, uh, they did the first gene expression study on microneedling. It showed that even at one millimeter, which is you really only need to hover if you're a professional out there listening, with microneedling, you want to go between 0.5 and maybe one millimeter max. The only time you need to go deeper is if you're working on scar tissue, of course. But for okay. general facial lines and wrinkles and rejuvenation, you want to go in that range. It's because your target site for microneedling is the dermal epidermal junction, which is that layer that connects the dermis to the epidermis. That's where all new epidermal cells are birthed. That's where your melanocytes reside. So that's where you want to target. And if you look at, if you've looked at a cross section of skin, you can see that the DEJ has this sort of mountainous appearance. It yeah. goes up and down. Um, we call those the ret pegs. Um, on any given area of the face, that DEJ is located anywhere between 0.5 to maybe 0.1 on certain areas if you're if you're younger, it's, it's, it's definitely deeper, um, but never outside of that range. So that's your target site. It actually really pains us when we see these providers or these social media influencers who are needling the face and blood is dripping everywhere. You are achieving the opposite. Again, the, the first gene expression study that showed between 0.5 and 1 millimeter into the skin, you're actually minimizing most inflammatory pathways and triggering a ton of anti-inflammatory pathways. That's why it's such a bizarre phenomenon, microneedling. It's the only modality that does that. So microneedling is, is the first thing about microneedling and really what it's mainly about is to initiate this cascade of repair by stimulating your own growth factors. 
but we wanted to be able to amplify that signaling what, that we're initiating with the, with the needling device. So we created our microneedling solution, which is essentially a highly concentrated pure dose of those growth factors mm -hmm. in a hyaluronic acid humectant base. Mm. And so the providers are actually utilizing these little ampules, these little vials with the microneedling procedure. So the needles kickstart this, this amplification. Um, you think of it as like when you use the needles and the growth factors that get released, think of the release. If we're talking about like cell to cell communication, just the needling alone, think of it as like a little whisper of cell to cell communication. Then when you add these growth factors on top, it's a, uh, it's a loudspeaker of amplification. You're really boosting the cell-to-cell -cell communication. What that means is you heal beautifully. You heal so fast. You, you heal in an anti-inflammatory environment, which means no scar tissue. Uh, there's a lot of technologies like PRP, so outdated and actually has been proven to be completely worthless with facial microneedling um that are more harmful or they just don't do anything they're actually been over sensationalized and the science actually proves that they don't really do anything this does this is actually providing significant value to the skin and it's not just for microneedling i mean we have providers that are putting these little ampules on the skin in any post-procedure scenario whether it's laser whether it's full ablation with co2 you want to put these proteins on because it will heal that much faster and your your clinical outcomes will be that much better so when you're at home, then are you just like dousing your whole body in these ampules? Like what's happening at your house? <laughs> I, I do feel a little blessed that I have access to all our products anytime I want. So mm -hmm. I can kind of slather on a little more extra in these areas. But no, everybody, uh, all of our providers joke. They say, I wish you had a, a bath product. We could just soak in this. Yeah, like it a body lotion or something that... Yeah. Oh, well, we are. I, I'm. I'm. I, I lead R and D, so I'm on. Um, I'm on. I'm, I'm in the midst of formulating some new products. Uh, the oh. next product that's coming out is our, bar is our barrier repair moisturizer. Okay. Uh, the beauty of the two-step system is it does contain all the actives, uh, and even though there's some phospholipids and some uh, glycolipids in there, it's it for some skin types. Maybe a very older demographic. Maybe you live in a desert like you and I do, or um, or you're just lipid deficient. Uh, some people need a little extra moisturizer. So rather than all of our clients going and buying these random moisturizers elsewhere, I decided I want to formulate a beautiful, true barrier repair product um, that's actually going to add significant value to the skin. So that's going to launch, I think we're close to six weeks now. So that's going to be next. We will put out an eye cream because it's been such high demand. There will be a body product uh, for our estheticians. Our current brightening product is mostly for our MDs, but I'm going to launch a brightening product for our esthetician community. So awesome. we're not gonna we're not gonna be a brand that has a ton of SKUs. Just if there's something, if there's a SKU that's missing or if there's a piece that we can fill, a void, and we can fill it with some really great products, we'll try to meet that. I mean if the demand is there, we might as well create it. The product. Well, it sounds like you've landed in the perfect juicy spot for yourself because you get to really do what you love with the science and the formulation. But then you also get to get out in the field and, you know, do these shows and speak to your audience. And what is the life like of, of an educator? I mean, you're out there traveling. How often do you travel? And would you say that's a pro or would you say that's a con of being an educator? Because how do you maintain, like, um, social life? I, and I would, romance? yeah, great question. I would say it's. <laughs> right. I would say it's a little bit of both. Um, when I first started traveling, and mind you, I've been traveling for work for close to uh, eight, nine years now, maybe. Yeah. Um, I loved it. I mean, as a young guy, 
38 now, but as a young guy, I really love seeing all these cities that probably I would not normally go to on my own, but mm -hmm. I'm going and I'm meeting all these great people and, you know, especially on like the East Coast and all the history. So I love getting in front of people. I thrive off of that. But uh, mind you, as you get older, traveling and living out of a suitcase can, can take some tolls on you um, mentally, physically, et cetera. So right now, believe it or not, of course, because uh, of coronavirus, uh, there's no travel on my schedule, which I will say I'm actually not minding because it's nice little relief, not having to live out of a suitcase. I mean, we will pick things up as things start to normalize, but right. I'm cherishing the, the gift I've been given of being able to stay home and with my family um, and, and maintain some sort of normal life. Uh, so I'm not minding it, but yeah, it, it definitely can wear you down, you know, especially if I was traveling, which I have, there's been periods where I'm traveling, you know, three, four times a month for, you know, a, a significant period of time. And so you'd go back to back, you'd go home, you're there for one day, or you'd go an extended period of time where I'm flying to one city and then flying to another city from that city. That can burn you out for sure. But I, I have to say, even though that can burn me out, I'm beyond grateful to to wake up every day doing what I love. I'm literally following my bliss. So I cannot yeah. possibly complain about it. And I know educators, I don't know if it's this way with the company you're with now, but you know, you're working with the sales executives out in the field, you know, when you're in yeah. a certain city. And, you know, what is that like? I mean, I'm sure there were times where you worked with account executives and you probably just like dreaded it. Like, oh, I got to spend two days in the field with this one, you know? I mean, <laughs> right. I know that you loved spending time with me, but there had, I to, be, sure did. We there had to be ones that you were just like, oh, this is painful. Like, how do you get through that? How do you make the best? I of would it? say maybe, maybe a couple over my, my tenure on the field. Um, I would say the majority of people I've really been able to bond with, um, but there's a few people like normally when I go into a city and I've got a local rep there and I'm doing, you know, little uh, site visits with them. Sure. Um, if I really bond with them, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to go freshen up and I'm going to go out in the town. We're going to have dinner. But there's been a handful where like, I just don't want to go out with you. I'm just going to go home and stay at the hotel bar. Right. <laughs> um, so there's been a, there's been a few. Um, but for the most part, I've, I've been lucky to work with some pretty, pretty amazing people. I'll say. Okay, so you'll have to give me their names offline so I can know who they are. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say I would say the biggest challenge with reps is um, creating a sort of mini version of myself. Yeah. Empower my sales reps to be able to deliver, not necessarily to the level I deliver the message, but in, in a way that they feel confident and comfortable. There's been a handful of reps where um, they, they, they needed me to hold their hand far too much and they weren't growing and they weren't yeah. learning to where they could do things on their own. So that, that can be a little frustrating. Um, but I, I, I love the reps that, you know, take charge. They, they, they utilize all of their resources that we provide them as far as education goes. I'm constantly, even, even here, um, uh, being at home, I'm doing a lot of Zoom calls. Uh, conference calls with accounts. You know, I've got my my sales reps constantly texting me if they're in a if they're in a uh, practice and a doctor asks a question that they don't understand or can't answer, they politely say, "I don't know," but let me ask my VP of Education. So I'm I'm always working with them, and I love yeah. it because I again I want them to be successful in their jobs, and I want to be able to make sure that the message is getting out there in a very accurate way. 
Yeah, you were always so good about that. I remember that, you know, because you do love that part of it. You do love, you know, helping and answering all the questions. And yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, when you're an account executive working with physicians, you know, they will trump you up. I mean, they will ask you something that you just do not know the answer. So it's great to have that lifeline. And you were always so great about answering, you know, straight away. So I'm sure your, your current account executives love that having you there. They do. They do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's nice to get the, the, um, the praise from them, you know, cause I, I've always, I, I'm not one that seeks approval. Um, but it is nice over the years to organically have people reaching out to me, whether it be an account, somebody who's heard me on stage, my reps, even my own, my current bosses reaching out and, and giving me praise for, for my talents and what I provide to the company. Uh, my, you know, the level of intelligence I'm delivering. So that it's nice to be acknowledged for that, which I will be honest with you, was not always fully acknowledged in prior companies uh, yeah. for whatever reasons, which I think honestly, if between us, I think it might be a little bit of jealousy. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and, and now that's not the case. I've got people that put me on a pedestal that let me run with things because they know I'm fucking good at it. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, it's interesting because, you know, people can really thrive in the right environment. And I think sometimes, you know, it's happened to me and I know it's happened to you. You get stuck in a situation where, you know, maybe the people that you're working for just, you know, it's like, it's like a threat almost that, you know, of what you have to offer that they try to, you know, keep it tampered down and they just don't want to be outshined. I think that happens not just, you know, with the company that you worked for, but just in general in the beauty industry, I think people can, you know, kind of feel threatened by someone who's really strong and confident and, you know, like owning their own power. You know, I think that can come off right. a little threatening to some somebody maybe that isn't feeling that way and they just don't want you to take what they have. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So as we end up, you know, obviously I, I, I kind of have an, a feeling I'll know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear like, you know, here you are, you said, what, 19 years, 20 years in the business already? Or, or yeah, pretty yeah. Close, yep. what has the beauty industry meant to you, Daniel? Oh, great question. I, I again, I think it's me being able to find my, my passion and my bliss at a young age, and falling in love with it madly, but then being being immersed in it, and being sort of uh, a proverbial hug, if you will. This industry has embraced me. Um, and it's, it, it's very rare, again, that you absolutely love what you do, right? And mm -hmm. so to me, it's meant the world that I can ex take my knowledge and express myself and be acknowledged for it. Uh, I, I think that's a blessing that unfortunately not a lot of people get. And so it's meant, it's meant everything to me. Um, it's, it's definitely where I belong. Um, you know, and I've got great ideas. Um, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Um, I grew up in Silicon Valley, so I was, I've been surrounded by some brilliant people. And, you know, there, there's a potential opportunity um, for me to maybe launch my own brand, uh, you know, oh. in the industry. So I'm not done yet. I am not done yet. Oh, of yet. course not. You're so um, young. I was going to say, like, when is your yeah. book coming out? Like, I can see you writing a book. <laughs> I, I thought about it. In fact, there's a few physicians over the years that I've known, and they—they they, one of them in particular, big LA physician, uh, professor at UCLA, has been wanting to write a book with me for quite some years now. So eventually, I think it's just time, right? Getting getting the time to 
execute that and actually be able to, to, to get it done. But there's a lot of projects that I'm, I'm going to get done and I'm excited about. Yeah, and I'm going to leave the link um, on the show notes where people can find you on Instagram, but I really encourage everyone to follow Daniel. It's the Cultured Beauty Guru, and you share so many scientific things. You, you know, you're really good about answering questions, so I hope people will follow you there. And are you, like, with your Instagram, are you going to be doing more, like, Instagram lives? Are you going to be doing anything where people can get yes. more information? Yes. That's my goal. Um, and I, anybody that does follow me, I do apologize. I've kind of been on a little hiatus for the past few weeks. It's mostly just emotional things, you know, what's going on in our world. And I needed some reflection time, but I'm, I'm getting back on it. So yeah, I share a lot of scientific information, ingredients, skin physiology, molecular biology. I do, I'm going to do more Instagram lives. I just want to be able to engage with the masses and be able to share things with them that um, I normally have been have been reserved for the professional aesthetic community. So that's my goal. I love it. Daniel, it's always a pleasure. And um, we'll have to chat offline because I want to hear some more of this juicy stuff. So um, but I want to thank <laughs> you good. so much for joining me today on the Beauty Debut. And it's it's been a pleasure just to pick your brain per usual. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you liked this episode, I would be grateful if you would rate and review and be sure to subscribe so you can get notified when the next episode goes live. To learn more about makeup, skincare, self-care, and my personal go-to products, visit thebeautydebut.com. Do you want to continue today's conversation? You can find me on Instagram at thebeautydebut and on LinkedIn at Claudia Fabian.